So welcome to the Soul on Fire podcast, Rasa Yatra. Um, thank you for joining us today. And um, firstly, I'd really love to hear from you a little bit about your background. Like, how did you start practicing bhakti yoga? <laughs> right. Um, gosh. Back in 1992, I think it was. 1992, yes. Um, Jill and Yatra and myself, um, we were a couple at that time, and we decided that there must be more to life than the materialistic way of life. Um, so I was taking a gap year between school and starting at university, and we decided to travel overseas and look at different um, different ideas around life because you know I was brought up in New Zealand and it's the bottom of the world and you kind of get the sense growing up in New Zealand that there's a, a much wider world out there with new experiences that you don't necessarily have down here so, you know the grass is always greener on the other side so um, we were heading off to the UK um, we were going to work there and sort of travel around Europe for a year and then come back and you know start university um, and actually when we we're at the uh, the travel agent, she said, oh, you can actually stop off in India. It'll only cost you an extra $50. And I was like, India? No, that, that's a bit, that's a bit um, different. <laughs> and Jill and Yatra said, no, 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 we should do it. And if you don't like it, you know, we'll just stay for a couple of days, only an extra $50. And if we do like it, we could extend our stay. Anyway, so we, we started off in Thailand and we traveled through Thailand and we looked at Buddhism and, you know, different kind of spiritual paths there. And of course, also the, you know, the, the scene around the, you know, the bars and the beautiful beaches and just trying to enjoy the material world. Um, and then we went to India and uh, we absolutely loved it. And we ended up being there for three months. We traveled around, we uh, met with the Dalai Lama and learned about meditation and the Himalayas. And I got quite involved with the uh, you know the politics of his situation at the time and you know then with China and how he was being treated and um, but anyway we loved that stay and then it kind of broadened our horizons that you know the, there's more going on in the world and there's other ways to live and I remember a, a very um, a thing that really stuck out for me at that time was a, a, um, a beggar in the street you know being very peaceful and very happy and I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> he's literally got nothing, but he's smiling and he's sitting there with his beads or, you know, doing some mantra. And I was like, yeah, I found that quite interesting because then we went on to London. And of course, you know, I was thinking London's a great place to go and there's so much opportunity and so many people. And um, But I found the people there very hurried. You know, they might have been materially together, but their minds and their the way they lived was just not, conducive or not congruent with this so-called happiness mm. um, and yeah I remember that these this poor person in the street seemed more happy you know in mm. India more happy than these businessmen that were charging past us in London anyway cut a long story short we ended up being in the UK for gosh about nine months or so working in different jobs and came back to New Zealand and went on a, um, a retreat because we decided um, that we were going to go away and pray to the universe or, you know, whoever God was, um, you know, what's the point of life? Do we take a material path or do we take a spiritual path? I mean, again, we didn't really know the difference at this point, but we knew there was something going on. So we went away to the Mana Retreat Center in the Coromandel. And one day um, I was walking out of my room and Dave Marita Swami was there. And I held the door open for him and I was like, oh, something about this person, you know, seems very um, effulgent and just kind of was like it woke me up a little bit or something like, oh, something different. So I went running back to tell Jill and Yatra, I just met this amazing person. He's like, what? <laughs> you, met, you mean you met this man? Who is this man? So, um, <laughs> so Jill and Yatra went along to, you know, see who he was. Anyway, so it was Dave Ramita Swami and Chandra Shekhar Swami and they were there having a retreat um, because they'd been running a loft, I think, in Ponsonby at the time. So they just went away for a bit of a break. And um, they invited us along to the loft. So 
initially I thought, you know, there's something about these people, this, the food, because uh, Chandrasekhar Swami was, was feeding us and cooking for us, giving us this amazing prasadam while we were on this retreat centre. We were the only oh. uh, four people there. There was one other person from this. Wow. Um, yeah, because it was over New Year's and stuff, and it was very quiet. Anyway, so we had lots of interesting conversations. Went along to the loft, um, and Jill and Yatra got involved quite quickly. I was a little more reticent. Um, but eventually, I guess the power of the, the workshops that Dave Mita Swami and Bhakti Siddhanta Swami and Chandra Shaker Swami were giving at the loft, you know, the philosophy I just found really, really interesting. And I thought, oh, actually, this is answering a lot of questions that I've always wanted to understand. But I was 21 and, you know, the thought <laughs> of these four regular principles and chanting 16 rounds was a bit, oh, I don't know about this. Um, but eventually got there they got me chanting and yeah and sort of the rest is history really um moved to new vashan early 1995 um and yeah wow trying to practice or learn to be a devotee ever since thank you so much for sharing i'm i'm blissful <laughs> beautiful story and so what are you doing now um, yeah, so gosh, how many years ago was it? I think it was in 2005, 2004, 2005, um, we decided that we wanted our son to have a Gurukul experience and to, to have spend some time in the Dharm. So we went as a family to India and lived in Vrindavan for six months um, and we're on our way to help out with a preaching centre in the UK. So our, our kind of theory was that if it worked out for Shukadeva and Vrindavan, um, then we'd be in the UK, we wouldn't be so far away, so we could come back and visit him. And anyway, things went so that um, uh, we had a wonderful time in India. We travelled up to Gangotri and Yamuna Otri, the source of the Ganga and the Yamuna, and um, spent lots of time in Vrindavan Dam, very fortunate. Um, but the UK preaching centre closed down or it didn't sort of end up happening, so we went back to New Zealand. And at that point, uh, I was thinking, actually, I just need to, because I've been doing full-time service up till then. So uh, that was what, from 1995 to year 2005. Uh, so primarily mm. book distribution and mm. serving um, David Marita Maharaj and um, helping out at the loft and giving classes at the loft and stuff. So um, by this point, yeah, needed a, an income so I was like oh okay I probably better go to university <laughs> so I went to my Guru Maharaj Dave Marita Swami and said you know what what can I do what could be of assistance to you um, in your service to Srila Prabhupada and he said actually uh, an emerging issue over time I think it would be really helpful if you could train in mental health or understanding how to support devotees psychologically um, and I was like, okay, so I looked into it and I was going to originally do um, psychotherapy, but that's seven years study. And of course, you know, I had a, a 10 year old and an 11 year old um, and a husband that just wanted to carry on doing Sankatan and full time service. So I was like, okay, I've, I've seven years, I can't really afford to be a student, I need to work a bit quicker. So mm -hmm. my mother said, have you thought about a Bachelor of Social Work? Because at that point, mm -hmm. you could do that in three years. And I thought, okay, well, I could do the Bachelor's in Social Work get a job and then do postgraduate studies from there. So I undertook my Bachelor of Social Work and um, then started working. And I think two years into my work, I undertook a postgraduate in cognitive behavioral therapy, just to get more of a, an understanding of the therapeutic needs of mental health challenges. So I've been working as a social worker now for, gosh, so what's that? Uh, uh, about 12 years, 13 years, um, and I've had various roles. Uh, a social worker is it's, it's a challenging role to have alongside being a parent and, um, of course, all our sadhana bhakti practices and wanting to remain connected to outreach also. Uh, and, of course, in the interim, my um, husband and I started a Himsa farm, so having, you know, cows to provide milk to the community. So yeah, uh, juggling a few different balls, but um, it's it's been an amazing journey, and I think it's it's kind of helped inform. Um, 
ideas and thoughts of how to support devotees and their and their path back to Godhead because mm. obviously we all come from different backgrounds we have different levels of um, advancement and understanding of Krishna in our lives and the, the process of bhakti in our lives and we want to support each other to to understand where we're at in terms of our spiritual journey um, I, I think I was told years ago it was like feet on the head in the clouds feet on the ground mm, <laughs> so right. understand where we're at and remain committed to advancing from there because uh, mm. I guess over the years I've seen that challenges arise when we're not really conscious of where we're at we try and be either more than we are or less than we are and um mm. and then, yeah, confusion can reign from there in terms of that can affect our physical health not just our mental health you yeah know? It's, it's sure. a full package. So, you know, getting the right balance, which is a day-to-day -day affair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many things that we juggle. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of been my, my learning journey. So paying the bills, but getting information and knowledge of how to assist people to, um, to be all that they can be in their lives. Mm. It's interesting that you, you mentioned about you know, that, that tendency to try to be more than what we are or less than what we are and how that can lead to health problems, both physical and mental. Um, I, I've, my understanding and my experience of that is that it, like that is, that's the definition of a, a mental health issue is trying, thinking that you, you need to be more than what you are or that you're less than what you are and that creates a conflict. And then you're living in this conflicted state. And, and according to terrain theory, that's, that translates to the body too, you know, like for example, um, I had uh, a toothache and my mom's a practitioner of German new medicine. So um, this theory uh, or, or this practice that, um, attributes any physical ailment you may have to a psychological cause. So I asked her, what's toothaches about? And she said, she asked me, what are you not sinking your teeth into? Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, that's, I'll try that on. And I looked and I, I, I knew straight away, it was like, yeah, I'm not sinking my teeth into my bhakti, like devotional service. Right. And so that weekend, it happened to be the 50th anniversary of the um, installation of the deities at Melbourne Mahaprabhu Mandir, the temple in Melbourne. And all of these Prabhupada disciples were coming um, for the festival. And I had an opportunity, I was tasked to help with the Prashad um, service. So I, my station was like the tea that was like the beginning of the, the line, all these like Maharajas and, and Prabhus and Marjis like from the old days, you know, Prabhupada disciples were coming to, to um, have lunch and, and dinner. And I was the first person to, to serve them. Right. And so I, you know, show them all the different teas and recommend different ones. And it was just ecstatic. I fully got to sink my teeth into <laughs> two days of just intense service. Um, and my toothache completely disappeared and it was excruciating and it just disappeared. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a really, um, that's my experience. Like what you said about not being what you can be, right? Like there's that, that gap between where you, you know, you could be or where you want to be or where you, you ought to be. And then where you are, that creates a, a conflict, right? It's like a, a stress and that stress has to go somewhere and so according to this theory this terrain theory it goes to different parts of your body right yes yes and i think um conversely sometimes because as devotees we like to sort of analyze things and understand things and sometimes we can um you know ignore cues in the body or put it down to some emotional mm. or psychological distress but actually the, the, the body's just needing some attention or something because I know uh, years ago I had terrible terrible toothache and I just kept trying to push on you know it was like, <laughs> right. um, you know uh, I just wanted to carry on with my service and I didn't have time to you know go and get this dealt with 
right. and it turned out that I had uh, impacted wisdom teeth. I had eight because uh-huh. you're supposed to have four wisdom teeth. I had eight or nine. They were impacted wow. into the jawbone, <laughs> and Whoa. it ended up being a, an operation to remove them. And you know, but, wow. but there was this kind of this sense that hey, I'm not the body, you know. And I, and I remember being in pain and a young buckter at the time telling me, "Come on, you're not the body, Madaji," you know, just <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, um, it, it, yeah, and I think uh, as devotees, because we're trying to deal with ourselves, we're trying to deal with our service, we're trying to understand Krishna, we're trying to pay the bills and deal in the material world, you know, we have quite a huge, um, uh, a big plate, so to speak, and so uh, mental health can become um impacted when we don't uh well we can go too much into analyzing our moves and everything about us and make you know seeing if there's some psychological reason for it uh or we can go too much the other way where we just ignore the the body Mm. and the mind and and the little um, nudges that they're giving us um because we you know we think well we're not the body and we're just aiming for transcendence Mm. So, you know, getting that balance right, I think, is really important. Mm. And I know that um, Dave Ramita Maharaj's um, kind of approach to dealing with that is to have, you know, mentors or, or people around us that can understand us and understand where we're at and support us to, you know, just be mindful of these these different nudges in our life and to see them for what they are and not kind of put them on the back burner in the name of right. transcendence. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah, and that's really what I wanted to talk with you about. So there was a devotee um, who I knew um, kind of well, and I won't mention his name, but he took his life recently. Mm. And it, I wasn't living in the same, I'm not living in the same country as um, where he he did that and so I don't know you know what led up to it but from what I gather even those who were there didn't see it coming either and so maybe that it's a case of that ignoring the nudges like from his side and maybe others too ignoring those nudges um could you speak to that a little bit yeah, I mean, suicide and suicidality is a is a is a really challenging topic, on, you know, for many reasons. And I'm really sorry to hear that your friend um, had felt so bad as to want to take his take his life. Um, there's many there's many factors, and often it's easier in hindsight to sort of go back and say, "Oh, we could have, or we should have," or you know. But the reality is, is that if somebody's having that much internal pain that they want to make that decision, um, yes, there may be cues, and sometimes there just there just isn't. Uh, in terms of trying to develop a transparent culture around revealing one's mind and confidence, so that people, you know, can share how they're feeling at a particular time, is very powerful. Uh, and there's certainly steps that we can take to. Um, you know, if somebody has revealed their mind and confidence and said that they are feeling suicidal or they are feeling really, really down, uh, it's really important to reach out and get some professional help to get support because that's that sort of mentality doesn't develop overnight. It's very rare that somebody will be feeling fine one day and the next day choose to, to take their own life. So there's generally a lot that leads into it in terms of depression or Uh, It could be mania, it could be voices in the head, you know, there could be something going on in someone's mind that if they haven't articulated to someone else, there's very little that we can, we can do about that as devotees. Um, So therefore that revealing the mind and confidence is a very important part of our culture um, as devotees and and as as human beings, because Mm. it just gives that ability to, um, to let somebody else know what's really going on because the mind is not something we can see in others you know like if you walk down queen street there's so many people with so many different minds different thoughts different feelings 
you, you're not generally going to know what's in those minds. You know, some things you can see through people's actions, through their, their facial expression, through, you know, some of their mood, uh, you know, uh, different moods happening. And then other things, um, you know, unless somebody tells you, you're just not going to know. So developing that culture of revealing your mind and confidence is really important. And also a culture of understanding mental illness or mental challenges that we all get them at some point in our lives, you know, destigmatizing that idea that, you know, well, that person obviously just has mental health issues. No, most of us have some degree of mental health challenges within our life. Um, to differing, varying degrees, and how we how we think about the world and how we feel about the world can often go into how we act in the world, but not necessarily. Some people can continue acting externally in one way while internally having a very different environment, very different um, experience. So, uh, sort of coming back to you to what you've you've asked, I guess it's. Um, yeah, it's that revealing mind and confidence and knowing what to do with that because none of us can be trained to know everything in every situation. That's an over-expectation of any human being. Um, so there are people that are trained and deal with um, suicidality in their job every day um, that are going to have some ideas of how to support this person to come back from that, from that um, ideation or that thought. So there's many different modalities of therapy and different things work for different people. And myself, in terms of my role within the uh, devotional community here in New Zealand, is I know when I initially did my training, I, there was kind of an idea that I might do the therapy for everyone <laughs> or for lots of devotees. But I found that actually that's not the most conducive way because there's lots of things I don't know as a therapist. There's, there's some people that um, will be able to connect with me and I'll be able to assist with you know, in therapy, but it's actually more important that I work with people to understand how, where to go for help and who to approach for help according to their particular needs. So there's, you know, there's some things that we can just, just talking to a friend or going for a walk or changing up your day is going to help alleviate your mood and you're going to be feeling better. If there's other things that are obviously longer standing and deeper seated that require might require um, seeing a clinical psychologist, seeing a mental health professional, talking to their doctor, um, talking to a counsellor. So, you know, getting actual um, um, tools to overcome those, those, that deep sense of, you know, despair that comes about when somebody's starting to contemplate taking their own life. Um, so you've got to know where to send somebody you know so almost like so triaging like if somebody you know breaks their finger and goes to the doctor and the nurse will triage okay is this life-threatening is this need immediate support does it need immediate bandaging you know that kind of thing so similarly in mental health we want to um, have some inkling of triaging of when it's just somebody needs to talk and have a cry and you know just go for a walk on the beach with your friend or whether it's something more long-standing that's going to require a, a more intensive intervention. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, you've you've opened my mind a bit there. I've I was reading a book recently called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And he talks about different causes of depression and solutions. Um, which funnily enough, um, fly in the face of, of um, some of the professional healthcare um, treatments, as mostly um, drugs. Um, I've taken antidepressants and I, I did find them to be effective, um, but the the doctor who prescribed them to me did say that they don't make you happy. They're not the solution. They just give you a sort of a space between you and the depression. So then you can um, make the decisions, right. To do the things that will help you, which will make you happier. Yeah. Um, That's just a little caveat there, but what I wanted to share was um, 
sort of around that community and that um, the friendship, the point you made about, you know, going for a walk with a, a friend and and having being a part of a community where um, you really trust that you can share things. Um, that book seems to speak a lot to that, like one, um, one sort of treatment that someone that he talks about that someone had was to hang out with a cow, <laughs> you know, as a way to, to cure depression, hang out with a cow. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but he was making the point that, you know, love um, is very healing. Yes. You know? And so I wanted to um, talk about that a little bit with you. Like, how could we as devotees interested in self, uh, in devotee care um, create that kind of community of, um, of love and trust? Yeah, and, and, and it's a really, um, it's a really interesting topic and a big topic because I think from, from my experience and understanding of, of human beings, uh, everybody experiences love very differently. Mm. So love is what we're all seeking. We're pleasure-seeking entities. That's our natural position in the spiritual worlds. Um, and love is what we're seeking and we try and seek it. It means different things to different people. So in terms of developing a community of care, you know, and developing loving and trusting relationships, you know, that again comes back to individuals understanding how it is to get those needs met. So what I often find in my social work career is the very, the very thing that people are looking for in terms of that love and that connection, they often lack the skills to actually get that from another person because of the way they behave towards that person. So in terms of building a community of care, you know, we can have um, some structures in place and some goals and aspirations. And it also comes down to the individuals within that community in terms of their life experience and their, um, their ways of seeking connection and either pushing people away or pulling people closer in terms of how they behave. So it's, it's the ideal, and I know as devotees, you know, we, we, we love the ideal and we're idealists. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears and time and patience that goes into actually creating that type of community because it's based on deep, loving, trusting relationships. And on one level, we can understand that, you know, those trusting relationships are built through through time through doing service together through having similar aspirations and interests but more than that it also comes down to how do we understand relationships and how do we understand our expectations of others and vice versa because you know you can see some people that that's what they want but they also are so caught on what they want, they've got, they've got less ability to hear what the other person wants. And every relationship is about giving and receiving, is about hearing, is about um, understanding, listening. And when we don't have those skills or we don't you know, prioritize the development of those skills, that can interrupt our ability to create meaningful, connected, deep relationships. So although as a community, we can try and get structures in place and we can um, aspire for that, there's always going to be some roadblocks <laughs> in terms of that, um, ex of experiencing that in all of our interactions. And those roadblocks aren't just around, you know, what's wrong with the community. It's also what's coming back to well, what am I contributing to that, uh, reaching out and trying to develop a relationship with others. So from a community perspective, um, I think, you know, having these conversations, having this understanding of what it is, what type of community and environment we're trying to achieve, while also having, um, you know, patience and the ability to understand that it's not going to happen overnight, <laughs> um, because it comes back to each of us as individuals in terms of well, what we're putting out and what we're getting back. Does that, does that make sense?
the last part didn't quite land for me. Mm. About giving and taking. Yeah, I'll try and think of how to explain that. Um, I guess so I could I could go to a work example because I worked in a community um, and the motto at the time was it's a community of care. So as um, I was a manager of a service within that community, so as a, a, a service manager, it was really unpacking what does community of care mean? And what does it mean to the different people within the community? And even on the management board at the time, there was different ideas of what care means. And that's, mm. you know, why I sort of, um, my preempt to what I said originally with this is different people have different ideas of what care means. You know, you come to the... Um, of course, when Rupa goes Swami, the six loving exchanges. So that's a devotional mm. framework for, for care. Uh, and there's also different love languages. So some people care as acts of service. Some people's, you know, getting presents. Some people, it's it's the act of touch. So different people have different ideas of, you know, how to express and receive love. Um, so coming back to that community of care, that can look different from so many angles and, you know, really unpacking what that means. So, you know, as a community, that might be a really interesting um, thing to, to unpack. And I think um, the more knowledge we have of others and the more, um, I guess, connect and respect through mm-hmm. a, a platform right. of devotional service, um, that you know that really deepens those relationships and the ability yeah. to have those you know to strengthen yeah. those relationships, and and as a you know and, and that can take time, but I guess it's yeah it's having a commitment and a um, and an enthusiasm to you know to keep creating that that community. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What I'm hearing you say is. Um, just about the importance of relationships. Like if you want to care for people, you have to be related. You have to have a relationship. Um, And having a relationship enables you to know the person you're dealing with and, and then be better. um, You you know, you, you'll know if you know someone, then you know how to care for them, you know? Um, And it seems like that's, that's kind of like where the break breakdown is, you know, when there's suicidal ideation, it's like, it, it's to go to a professional about that is kind of like at the bottom of the cliff, you know, that you've already gone so far, you've already, it, it's cure. Like there's two paradigms, right? Care and cure, right? And I think what we're talking about here is it's both. Um, and care is like the 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 first point of call. It's 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 the prevention. We you know we want to be preventative. We're not here to talk about just you know here's how to cure things, right? How to catch someone at the bottom of the cliff or treat their broken bones we want to talk about how to care so that they don't jump off in the first place but at the same time um it's a reality that some people don't get that care they they need and then jump off a cliff and then how to or or they're on the the edge how to um care at that time it looks different. You don't yeah. um, just sit down and have, well, you, you might just sit down and have Prasad together. But at that point, I, th- I think what I'm hearing you say is at that point, you actually want to go and address these things with a professional because that's what their profession is. It's not our profession. Right. And down in Channing Japa with the devotee who is suicidal isn't the, the solution. Right. Yeah. Because I I think alongside all of that is self-knowledge. And I think, you know, sometimes we join Krishna consciousness from, you know, many backgrounds, many different experiences, and it's such nectar and you get such a relief from the mind and body that you're just floating on air for a certain amount of time. And then at some point, 
It's like Krishna kind of points out to you, okay, now you're going to start dealing with yourself. <laughs> um, you know, this, this, and this is the baggage you're bringing from this life, potentially previous lives, potentially millions of lives. Um, so, you know, that self-awareness and self-knowledge and unpacking within us what what's actually going on that can also be, you know, blocking our relationships with others or blocking our ability to receive the care that is at times given because care, you know, again, unpacking that word care, it's not all um, about butterflies and rainbows, you know, or cotton mm. wool. Sometimes care is understanding that we have something within ourselves that we need to challenge and we need to deal with and we need to change. Uh, you know, sometimes care is somebody being quite straightforward with us about, you know, what we're doing to disrupt our spiritual progress. Um, so a caring community is not just one or two people necessarily around us. You know, we need to have a group of people that are, are going to be caring for us in different ways to help us develop and evolve and, and grow as human beings and as um, as aspiring pure devotees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a caring community um, it can mean lots of things and be lots of things. And genuine mm. care within a devotional setting, of course, is to help us progress on our way back to Godhead and our way back to a, a, a relationship with Krishna. Mm. And the books that Prabhupada has translated has given us so much wisdom and information in there about how to develop loving devotional relationships with our fellow factors on the path back to Godhead you know there's lots of cues there and often our material um, conditioning and experiences prior to coming to Krishna consciousness can impact on our ability to actually be having the relationships in a way that is conducive for our spiritual progress pro progression so there's so many layers to, to the word care and and the act of caring um, mm. that it's definitely important as a community to, uh, to create a, a space where there's at least one person you can reveal your mind to in confidence and it's not going to go on the internet and it's not going to go to all the other devotees in the community. It's that one person that mm. you can truly reveal, you know, what's going on for you too. And if that one person can have the understanding that if it, if a devotee's revealed that they're thinking of taking their life or that they're, really seriously struggling with depression or anxiety or voices in the head, whatever it is, if that one devotee can know when to pass on that information to the right person to make the right difference, that, then that's, that's really powerful because there's got to be a caveat um, that, and we have this in, in, in my profession, if somebody admits or shares that they're going to be a danger to themselves or others, then you know, you're duty bound to make sure that you get the right support for that person. You know, that's not the time to go, oh, well, anyway, I can't tell anyone. You'll be right, Prabhu, you know, just keep chanting, take some more prashad, go out and box. Um, that's not the time to be saying that. That's the time to be saying, Prabhu, I'm really worried about you and I'm going to need to get you somebody I'm going to need to put you in touch with somebody that can help you with this and just like you know as a devotee we're not an expert mechanic and an expert surgeon and an expert you know like we may be one of those things but we can't be an expert in everything so similarly suicidality and serious uh, mental health challenges require you know just like a a broken bone requires doctor's intervention serious mental health challenges require um, a serious mental health intervention mm. and I know I've, I've you know I've worked and I, I don't want to um, you know give too much information about specific details because our devotional community is so small but uh, you know times where I've worked with a devotee and the and devotees are very much of the understanding that oh well that person's still chanting and reading they're doing fine right. and it's like no there's mm. serious issues and this person requires serious support now <laughs> before it gets to that end of the cliff right. scenario. Yeah. yeah. I want to um, uh, bring up something um, that I think might make a difference for devotees um, dealing with depression. And that, that was me recently, like 
maybe two years ago, severe depression and um, sometimes suicidal ideation as well. And I'm really grateful to be able to say that I'm just blissful now, you know, so it's possible. But um, what I didn't realize um, until now is that constant sadness, even mild, or constant numbness or um, anything less than like to be constantly uncomfortable as a devotee is not normal. No, and not sustainable. Yeah, and I, I, I wasn't aware, you know, because I thought that was normal. I've, no. I've grown, I've, I've thought so many um, things were normal in my life that I now realize are not. Right. But. When you're in that space, you can't you can't um, identify that this is actually an issue that needs to be addressed. Mm. So, would you agree that if you're not happy in Krishna consciousness, there's something wrong and it needs to be addressed? Is that safe to say? I think again, that comes back to somebody in your life that you know, in terms of a mentor or a trusted. Um, you know, spiritual master or, you know, Guru Sadhu Shastra is, is sort of the, the, the turning points for, for understanding because there are times in our spiritual life where we are um, kind of developing and being stretched a little bit. And, mm. and that can be uncomfortable, just like, you know, if you're doing a yoga pose and you've got... Um, mm so my shoulders are, are really really tight so doing these you know yoga poses where you've got to put your hands together behind your back it's really uncomfortable and so there can be a part of me that goes ah, not doing that but it, it's good for me <laughs> so I think it's knowing at what times you need a stretch you know because the the alternative is is we can get into a mindset where unless life's all wonderful and rosy and, and I'm feeling great then it's just not right and that's not necessarily 100% correct in terms of on our path back to God there are going to be some times that are challenging just like in relationships there'll be times that are challenging in our relationships there can be times that are challenging in our bodies you know you can go through different hormonal as women you can go through different hormonal changes and these things that go on so there's got to be a degree of tolerance you know tolerance and patience on our path back to Godhead but I 100% agree that if it's a, a kind of a long-term something's you know feeling depressed or feeling anxious or something's not right and that, that that's really not a sustainable position to be in so I think rather than a statement that if you know if you're feeling like that then there's 100% something wrong I think it's more okay if it if it's an ongoing experience and there's things you can change and there's somebody that you can talk to to just check in you know is this just some, something I should be tolerating or is this something that's actually not conducive for my you know progressive bhakti it's again it's having those conversations and redeveloping and aligning your life so that you can be well positioned to go through Krishna consciousness for the rest of your life you know the long-term haul I think I've talked about this in some workshops I've done before you know there's the 100 meter sprint and then there's the marathon <laughs> so you want to sometimes in your life in your devotional career there are a few hundred meter sprints that it's all on and then, but you've got to position yourself so that you can go for the, for the life, you know, the lifelong goal. This whole life, we want to be practitioners of bhakti. We want to be developing the qualities that come through advancement and devotional service. And sometimes, you know, we're going to need, you know, just like people that do do marathon racing, they'll have people that they talk to, they have coaches, they'll have, you know, that you can check in and just see, see where you're at, how you're going. <laughs> Not that we want to just become kind of independent and think that we can do it all ourselves and we don't, you know, we don't need that kind of checking and balancing system because, you know, we, we know where it's at because that's also not necessarily, that might help you materially in life. It might not help you on your spiritual development journey. <laughs> that makes sense. So, you know, there, there's checks and balances there. I, I really appreciate, you know, you bring up about check, checking and checks and balances and, you know, um, having mentors who check in with you. Um, and we're going to wrap up soon, but I, I think this is a good point to end on. Uh, 
as maybe a, a take home or a, um, you know, a, an actionable thing moving, you know, towards what we're talking about here, a culture of care or a community of, of, of care that actually, that really works, you know, leveling that care up. Um, what if that checking in process that you're suggesting um, included more than japa reading etc and was more along more holistic more complete like for example the modi um, wellness model called tefari tapafa has four walls for wellness and i did some research on this and i made a presentation last year um, at praxis about bhakti manod thakur's wellness model and how tefari tapafa actually fits perfectly into his model oh wow yeah that yeah sense. yeah <laughs> yeah and so what i'm thinking is maybe this checking in and maybe this this self-awareness that you talk about should be um four walled not just one like that the four walls are um spiritual physical mental and social mm-hmm. so rather than just saying how's your sudden up right and and this could be in any conversation it doesn't have to be a check-in or with a mentor it could be just a friend catches up and you say how's your sadhana how's your family you know how's your um physical health and how's your mental health like actually normalize that conversation how's your mental health i've heard devotees say that recently or or tell me that you know so-and-so Prabhu asked me how my mental health was and wow that was refreshing I'm so <laughs> grateful that devotee asked me that mm. it was like a huge thing for them mm. Mm. and so I did it I took it on to ask someone else that and it created like this ripple effect I hope that that devotee then goes and asks someone else yeah my nice Prabhu yeah absolutely and I, I think again yeah it's um having a group of friends that have different things in your life so you know there might be some that are more interested in how we are emotionally or how we are mentally or how we are spiritually and you know you do you want to be covering off all those four bases and some you know we I think again sometimes on the path back to God and we forget you know we're human beings <laughs> and and to be a, a balanced human being is, uh, is, is is a high thing in the current age um, and being a balanced human being means being mentally, socially, physically, uh, and spiritually healthy. You know, Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, one doesn't eat too much, eat too little, sleep too much, sleep too little. You know, this is what it means to be a yogi. It means to be finding that balance and health in all aspects of our life because there's a very powerful tool. Um, and I can't remember what it's called, but I've used it a little bit over the years. And it's basically a wheel and it's, kind of the tapata tapifa um, aspects in terms of looking at your your different aspects of your health and you put your points at different mm. places around the wheel and the wheel obviously if it's if you so if the further to the outside of the wheel is the more balanced you are you know in terms of in these different quadrants and if you say you get the score system and if your score is right at the beginning in the middle of the wheel at the center of the wheel it's going to be a really lopsided wheel of life in your life because you might be say really good spiritually 10 out of 10 you know on the outside of the wheel and then your mental health you might be say you know a six and then your physical health oh actually that's a two and so that wheel's not going to turn very comfortably (laughs) it's going to be a rocky kind of path rocky road, rocky, rocky journey. Uh, so it is important to take care of different aspects of ourself. And of course, um, you know, by trying to progress in bhakti, these things should automatically occur. And when they're not, that means, yeah, we need to get a little bit of guidance, a little bit of um, a diagnostic tool by somebody more you know, experienced than ourselves to, to see how we can get that health back. So I hope that, um, yeah, thank you for facilitating this discussion. And yeah, it can create so many other discussions. It's a huge, very interesting topic. Um, but yeah, I like that idea of checking in with people. How, how are they emotionally, mentally? You know, this is, yeah. this is important. Yeah, and maybe when they answer, 
we could take on not giving advice. Right. So right? We just want to be listened to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Most of the time um, we just want to be listened to. <laughs> yeah. And and more importantly, I think, not going and telling everyone else, you know. I feel like trust is a really, that's something um, I think we could have, could talk about, you know, for a, a whole, a whole podcast. Yes. But, you know, a community of love and trust has to have a culture of like, actually, you know, this is confidential <clears throat> and please don't tell anyone, including your wife, <laughs> yes. you know, because yes. it just takes like, okay, I'll just tell one person and then it's safe with just them. You know, they're really close to me. They're, you know, they're basically me, you know, but then they do the same thing. And so revealing the mind becomes just a slower way of telling the whole community. Yes. And that's tragic. It's unfortunate. And I think again, it's, it's, it's having that self-awareness and self-knowledge of who we share stuff with because we've got to also have an understanding of somebody else's nature and character and abilities you know so there's some people that are going to that are naturally more able to retain and hold information than others so um you know that i think that's a two a two-way process and absolutely you know that is the ideal if information shared can be information held and we need to take into account that people are individuals and they're going to have their different ways of of dealing with with things so um you know finding a person in your life that you know can hold that information and with that caveat that if it's information that really does need to be shared for either you know somebody's well-being or if they're thinking of hurting others then Mm. that's not information that can be held that's information that needs to be given to the right um the right person to intervene or the right you know mental health or whatever it needs to be that's important yeah Thank you so much, Rasiacha, for who you are, for our community. And now the broader community too, because of technology. We've just recorded this. And um, my hope is that it will be heard by the people who need to hear it and and, and create a a ripple effect of um, holistic check-ins with friends. Yes. (laughs) And also that destigmatization of professional health care that you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, and if anybody, um, you know, if anything arises for anybody out of listening to this and they want to talk to someone, um, feel free to to contact myself if you need to talk about something or uh, somebody within your community that can... um, support you to get the right information or the right supports that you need beautiful okay Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Hare Vah. Hare Vah.